Welcome to the Brain Buzz Podcast. I'm your host, Drake. And I'm Kyle. And today we have the luxury of introducing our guest, Adri Callis. Uh, thanks for coming, Adri. Adri is a, a, UBC, a, a first-year PhD student at uh, UBC, and he's currently in the Peer Relationships and Childhood Lab doing research in uh, technology and social interaction. So thanks for coming, Adri. We're really happy to have you on. Yeah, today. I'd love to be here. Yeah, awesome. So before we get into the nitty gritty and t- start talking about the actual work that you do within the technology area, um, what were your original ambitions before you got into research? Do you want to be in clinical psychology when you were younger? Was that like always a goal? No. Um, growing up, I it's funny. Um, I wanted to be an inventor. It's really weird. And it wasn't even like an inventor like like Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison, an inventor? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of those famous yeah. inventors. Um, but Light I wanted bulb. to be like, you know, like Inspector Gadget, where he's got all these <laughs> gadgets. And I remember as a kid, this is a pretty funny story. I remember as a kid being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do all the science stuff. So I and I remember seeing in Inspector Gadget that he had this like super glue thing. <laughs> then it was colored in blue. So I just decided that, like, for some reason, I was a kid. I was probably, like, six years old. Took this, um, you know, the paper the paper glue you have that's, like, that you get in schools and stuff for arts and crafts? Yeah. yeah. The liquid got, glue? Yeah. Or, like, okay. your classic Elmer's. Just, like, yeah. Just the Elmer's glue that you'd yeah, have. Yeah. Um, liquid glue. And I had some blue dye in my kitchen. <laughs> and for some reason, in my Uh-oh. six-year-old brain, I thought that, like, oh, if I added this blue dye to this glue, it's going to be super glue. Uh, didn't actually work out that way. I had blue glue for a really long time. <laughs> but it wasn't super But you were glue. the only kid with blue glue. I was. I didn't use it outside of that because it never worked. Because, like, you'd put it on, you'd stick it on, like, white pieces of paper. And your oh. white pieces of paper would just have blue yeah. on them. <laughs> now I know why glue is white. Because <laughs> yeah. paper's white. Yeah. Fair enough. So first of many failed inventions? Or <laughs> first of the first failed invention. I don't think I tried inventing after that. Um, you hung up the glue at that point. Yeah, I was just, like, I guess yeah, this is done. not for me. Six, year olds, I, six, year, six years old, I knew that wasn't for me. All right. So, but, but even, so, sorry, even yeah. then, uh, you know, you still became a scientist. So walk us through that. What was that? Kind of how did you get here? Yeah, actually, no, not, now that you point that out, I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, like I'd always been interested in how things worked and just in generally how you can make things work for you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was really into biology growing up as well uh, in, in high school. Biology and physics. Chemistry, not so much. That stuff was hard. And <laughs> so I didn't, I knew I didn't want to be a chemist. I knew I didn't want to be an engineer. That was for sure. So I was like, being an, being an Asian and growing up in an Asian family, your your two choices are doctor or engineering, right? <laughs> so engineering was out. I was like, okay, I guess I'll be a doctor. Uh, thought about it for a little bit. Then when I went to college, um, it wasn't didn't really feel like it. I didn't really like biology. So mm-hmm. took up psychology and loved it. Mm-hmm. And here I am. A different form of doctor. <laughs> different yeah. form of doctor. Still a doctor, though. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I mean, the long-term goal is there. <laughs> yeah. I, I had someone tell me. Someone was... Might have been one of my professors. And we were talking about doc, real... Like, real... You know how you say real doctors? Yeah. And his line, which is so funny, was that, oh, do you know where the word doctor comes from? And I was like, no. He said, it comes from the Latin word doctore, which I think means teacher. And he's like... That's us. <laughs> you know, we do research and we teach. We're professors. 
so we're the real doctors and i'm like oh that's interesting that's, nice. that's a yeah. good that's a yeah. good story that, and that's that's something that uh as psychologists or, or people that do research in psychology uh we have to fight against that stigma i think uh where there's the real doctors and then there's the pseudo doctors that are actually yeah. doing the re- doing research and things like that that yeah. are not all not considered to be full-fledged doctors right? yeah uh it's interesting yeah. But it's also be- it also becomes a problem because like you know when you're on an airplane, someone gets hurt <laughs> yeah. and you're like, "Is somebody a doctor?" <laughs> I'm a doctor of psychology. Yeah, you yeah. know in your head like I'm not gonna put up my hand because. <laughs> so I don't know. In maybe, fact, I am a doctor. Yeah, maybe society like, needs to change. The yeah, episode I, of Friends where uh, they're in the hospital and Ross is like. Yeah. I'm a doctor. <laughs> no, 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 not the kind that we need, though. I don't remember isn't the line. Archeolo- isn't he an archaeologist yeah. or something? Yeah. yeah, he's doctor of archaeology yeah. or something like that. Yeah. You can't say that. It means something around here. <laughs> <laughs> That's the line. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think they played on that perfectly in that scenario, yeah. right? That's what we deal with. That's our life. Yeah. <laughs> or that will be all our lives. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Again, like, bring us through the process. So, what got you? here like why are you what drew you to clinical first off and then you're doing work in technology so what uh lended you to that direction or what brought you that way yeah that's an interesting question because i've always been interested in helping people so that was there really was that small part of me that wanted to still be a doctor Mm -hmm. and so i think naturally i just kind of gravitated towards clinical psychology because doing therapy is super interesting and I didn't know that back then, but I think I had a bit of an idea of like, that's what I wanted to do mm-hmm. with technology. I've always been super, I've always been super into tech, like video games, computers, but even nowadays when I read stuff online, it's always like the verge or like Gizmodo mm-hmm. and it's like tech stuff. Right. And naturally a lot of my research ideas are going to come from that. Right. And it's it's so cool because when we think about the research, uh, when I when I had started doing research in undergrad, a really big part of the problem with that was because I I'd always felt that like I think someone else has done this already, right? Mm-hmm. Someone else has done this research, and I don't know whether I'm gonna be contributing anything new. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's gonna be interesting, right? Yeah. But when when you think about the technology, like technology is moving, the growth is moving much faster than. Then we can research. So everything's always going to be new, right? There's always going to be something going on. That's exciting because yeah. we need more of that. And I love doing that. So yeah. it's a good merit. Every time we come up with a new piece of technology, every time, you know, before mm. Facebook, there was MySpace. And, you know, and after Facebook, there will be something else. Like there yeah. will always be something there. But each platform will have, I think, differences that need to be addressed. And, I think it'll be really interesting to kind of get your perspective on how evolving technology really changes uh, social interactions and social dynamics between, well, people generally, but children especially. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Um, I think one of the reasons also that I'm really interested in this research is because when you guys were talking, you gave me the thought that like I'm really interested in like popular technology, right, mm-hmm. versus the tech stuff that happens underneath all of that which is all this coding and hardware and stuff like that yeah and once you think about stuff like you know it becomes it's easier for me to do research like that because i have no idea how to do coding right (laughs) and so 
it's it's a it's a you know it's a good marriage of like really understanding especially when kids use technology we're talking about like lower level stuff that i don't really have to know as much in depth uh back end stuff as as you would imagine which is great mm-hmm. and but it's also super current and mm-hmm. really relevant to how people live their lives yep. because when we think about this now like you know a year ago like i don't think drake you would have imagined having a smart home speaker with <laughs> lights that will respond to it do you know what i mean and it's been only a year yeah. and that's changed like i've got like i can turn on my tv with my voice now and yeah. other people can turn down their uh thermostats with their voices yeah. as well and it's it's really cool because if we think about it from a social level it really impacts the way that we not only interact with our, our technology but also interact with other people mm-hmm. right so if you think about like facebook mm-hmm. how we use that to our advantage or to our disadvantage in other cases mm-hmm. so it's just a super ripe place to do research and something that i wish other people would do as well right so because collaboration is always a big thing in research and like i don't think there's enough people doing research in technology no just yeah, yeah. Which is crazy because of the amount of technology and the the impact that we it has on our lives or the the frequency of uh, technology in our lives, right? Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention, um, as you sort of said, like we the more people on this kind of work, the better it'll be, right? You know, you've got more opportunities to collaborate, share ideas, um, share knowledge, and uh, information, and and that's just so in- integral to you know any research, truly. Um, I want to ask you, what is something about technology research or anything that you do, any of your research, what is something about it that people tend to get wrong? I think the main big thing is that people think that we know more than we actually do. Mm-hmm. And I know this is the case for a lot of different things, especially in research, but this is definitely the case for technology where, you know, like we, we just talked about how we need more researchers in technology mm-hmm. and um, psycho- especially in terms of psychology, we're talking about it specifically. But there's really not that much research in it, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have opinions because a lot of people use technology, which is fine. But we also have to understand that a lot of this stuff isn't backed up by research, right? Right. And which is especially important considering the climate that we, or the political climate that we have. We oh, talk absolutely. About, you know? And science is important and we need to back up these claims that we have. We have a lot of ideas. We have a lot of theories. We want to test them out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So one of the things, uh, you know, not to get bogged down in the, in the political element of it, but one thing that I thought was really interesting is, um, you know, on this on the show, on our podcast, we strive to be transparent with our audience. and We want to link them to cool researchers doing cool work and help share ideas and knowledge and everything of that nature. And we give them the tools when the episode is released. We say, hey, here's where you can go find, you know, an article about this that's from a reputable source and et cetera, et cetera. And now we're seeing media being used to corrupt all of that too, right? And so technology is being actively sort of engaged as a mechanism to help devolve or, or sort of break down that that level of um yeah there's just these counter counter arguments to facts yeah it's, yeah. it's like uh alternative 
yeah facts <laughs> one might say i hate that so much yeah. but i mean like the the way that we consume things or it's the way that it seems that we consume things is just uh these buzzfeed or like quick articles that are videos uh that are being shot are just basically exposed to us constantly and and we have to decipher whether or not it's it's a reliable source or not and generally speaking it's not yeah Yeah. uh especially as research uh, knowing how much time and effort goes into research uh i think it's fair to say that most of these things are not substantiated and in actual uh empirically reviewed uh literature oh yeah no for sure <laughs> i don't think even it's i don't think some of these things are even substantiated by common sense you know? <laughs> it's like you know i think now more than ever if you're going to a psycho research methods class i think it's so important and like this is the reason why we're doing these classes for undergrads or in or in high school because we need to understand like what is good information and what is plain bad fake information that doesn't right. make any sense because of, of things like this. You know, you go on BuzzFeed or you go on Facebook and someone posts something like, oh, if your name begins with an I or an A, you're a psychopath. <laughs> I'm like, are you serious right now? Yeah. Or the uh, the intelligence tests where there's uh, buckets. You say, which one, which bucket's going to get filled first? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen. There's lines. Once you figure yeah. it out once, you're now a genius. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. You know? I, and the points that you're making, Adri, are... are it, it reminds me of the new psych course that's being offered at UBC, uh, Psych 216. It's it's called Questioning Psychological Science in the Media. And this just came out this year. Yeah. It's it the first time this, this course has been offered in, at UBC, and I thought that was awesome. Because uh, yeah. it's something that's been in the back of my head, and I'm sure in the back of your head, doing te- like doing research in technology. Uh, the fact that we now have to have a course that is talking about the legitimacy of these science like science in the media yeah and one thing that i think is really challenging too is uh, you know a a journalist when they're putting together these articles it may not be malicious there may there may not be any you know intent to uh disillusion or you know provide false information but it's it's truly kind of a lack of understanding of of the basics of whatever principle they're talking about that i think kind of undermines their message often at least and then there are obviously others who are just plain old out to get clicks and you know hey yeah like clickbait yeah yeah, yeah. we sh- we from the get-go we shouldn't be taking information as as law right mm-hmm. unless you're talking about really specific things like gravity and even then yeah we, I, i'm not a I'm not a physicist, but <laughs> I feel like that's, you know. I mean, I think we could take that. Yeah, I think we can take that as well. Okay, we'll take that as well. But, you know, like other, like, a source definitely comes into it. Mm. Like, if you're getting this on, you know, some random site that mm-hmm. is not backed up by specific journalists. And, you know, we talk about the Huffington Post where you have to really differentiate between contributors and mm. actual staff, right? right? Right. Those are two different things because uh, those are two different sources mm-hmm. but when you think about it when you think about actual research we already even w- within the realm of research and between researchers we question each other's research right yeah we look at people's papers and be like is this really true so if we're already doing that at the most basic level of where we get information from then we should definitely be doing that when we you know when we read about information and in other websites and, you know, it's a big ask to ask people to 
you know like go go and look for the source find out where that is and read that instead because that might that stuff might not be accessible at all right it might right. not be digestible yeah so i think maybe the more real the most realistic thing to do right now is to just be like okay take that information to heart but also think about and be open to the idea that that information might be wrong mm-hmm. yeah and that's all you can kind of ask for right yeah, yeah i mean yeah the source the source can be an indication of whether or not it's reliable for yeah. sure i mean if you're reading something off of i don't know uh pseudoscience.net <laughs> yeah. uh, i wouldn't take that as a credible source over uh what whatever other news site like if you're actually reading off of the american From Google psychological Scholar or association like that. Yeah. yeah something like that where it's actually like a, a like a peer reviewed journal yeah. sure we take it a little more uh, take it a little more seriously, but that being said, I think it's 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 also the re- and and even the reason for having that new psych course where you're you're critically analyzing uh, science in the media. It's it's on you. It yeah. really is on the in the on the individual to to decide what's what's relevant or what's actually true. Yeah. Or what they consider to be fact. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's especially challenging. Uh, for children because for years and years and years like part of going to higher education um, post-secondary is to develop that critical thinking ability right Um, but you know it's got to be challenging for the 13 year old kid who you know they're on Facebook because all their friends are on Facebook and they're I mean not to belittle them but they're not fully (laughs) cognitively aware as to what they're reading and they don't know how to appropriately critique the source and i i can see that as being hugely troubling right um if you're able to indoctrinate or you know brainwash a whole group of young kids because they don't understand how to approach um or how to critique a piece of media then you know we're in big trouble but i think you know that's also been a problem for centuries if not millennia right i mean i mean building off that the, the point that you're making is like this is we're talking about a a site course that's a university level second year university level course. Yeah. On talk, talking about how to critically analyze things you're consuming in the media. Yeah. Now, us being probably one of the last generations uh, that weren't fully exposed to the internet as children, mm-hmm. uh, and just being the the only generation that really came into it when they were developing as as kids, mm-hmm. um, we got a little bit of both where we we took whatever the TV told us as truth and then that changed to whatever the internet told us is truth mm-hmm. and then we had to form our own opinions now kids are 2 3 years old maybe even less with smartphones in their hands iPads in their hands and they have to decide what's what's credible and what's not credible <laughs> yeah and it's it's hard because we live in a different age now mm-hmm. we're not you know we've we were never born with ipads in our hands right and the way that we consume information nowadays is so different from the way we consume before nowadays we all of our information is curated based on the things that we've already looked at things (laughs) that we've liked and things like that right versus like when you and you and me grew up we were watching tv it was whatever was on TV, yeah. right? Everyone got the same information. But nowadays, it's a whole different ballgame. 
and it's like you know like you might have jumped into this one you know for example like if you were really into memes right <laughs> that's all you're gonna see on facebook yeah and or if you like the things like that tide pod challenge where <laughs> you have to eat a tide pod or something like that those are the kinds of content that you're going to be seeing on right. the internet i mean expand a little bit on the tide pods just really <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> so that are into those dank memes <laughs> so so the tide pod challenge is basically this thing that blew up over the course uh, over over the internet where people were challenging other people to to eat those tide pods you know those portable things that like de- one pods of detergent yeah you put it in, yeah, your, put it in, a, in yeah. your washing machine and people were eating those and there's videos of those and in my head i'm like what the hell yeah like why other things on the internet like that as seemingly stupid as humanly possible like eating tide pods uh like the neck nomination things where you had to drink an absurd amount of alcohol and post it on social media like yeah these are things that are are now i guess the stupidity that people had when they weren't exposed to the like the world through technology that was occurring is now just being um snowballed and increasingly like exposed on the internet right yeah. so people now have these forums to be even odder or more self-harming yeah and it kind of snowballs in that way it's it, i don't understand it it's it's so exp- it's it grows so exponentially right because yeah. like you're only going to see the stuff that you want to see or that you've seen before right and so are your friends like your social circle so it's so different to, it's so hard to get out of that right mm-hmm. um when we think about it's only when you get different kinds of input like if you're in high school and you're taught this these things yeah that's when you see a change mm-hmm. but otherwise how do you see a change right for the people that don't go to university which is a, a lot of people mm-hmm. right yeah, and I think I, I, so. I'm I'm interested in getting into a little bit more in the work that you do within technology and social interactions. What specifically are you looking into, or what are you interested in? Yeah, I think the two main areas, if we're talking about technology, has to be video games and social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, the social media stuff I've been doing in my masters, where we're looking at, we looked at how ADHD and social media interact with each other to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And we also talk about how our social lives online, how they may be related to our offline lives or our face-to-face uh, social interactions that we're having. But And then the other thing when we talk about video games is that, you know, a lot of people are playing video games nowadays. It's more mainstream than we could ever have expected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of video games nowadays are social, right? So you're spending a lot of time talking to other people they could be your friends they could be random people on the internet and it's important to understand what those interactions are like and how those interactions impact um our real you know our real quote-unquote lives right yeah. yeah so with that in mind what do you see as the major difference between the way people are portraying themselves online and and sort of who they are or is is that work done yet so it's still left in the open yeah that that work is actually it's a lot more complicated than we think, right? Like, I think the main contributor to the way that we present ourselves online versus offline is the amount of is the type of techno is the is the technology itself, right? So, in back in the olden days on forums, a lot of the way that we could present ourselves is almost completely anonymous, right? Mm-hmm. You pick a you pick a game or t- uh, a name a nickname that is not the same as yours 
you're a completely different person. Yeah. But nowadays, and that's anonymous, right? Right. But on Facebook, it's an Instagram. It's much more. I think the word is anonymous instead of anonymous. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. Anonymous. But a phenomenus. It's a phenomenus. Anonymous. <laughs> one of those things. Is not the name of it? Unanimous. Unanimous. But yeah, like on Facebook and on Instagram and on Snapchat, we have to be more of ourselves. Maybe not completely. Mm-hmm. There's some things that we could portray differently. We could bend the truth a little bit on Facebook, where. We we talk a lot about how on Facebook the way we present ourselves are we're generally it's generally we're generally motivated to present ourselves more favorably mm-hmm. than we are in real life, right? Because you know when you go on Instagram, no one's gonna post a picture of themselves being super sad mm-hmm. or like here I am sitting on my couch watching Netflix, right? Which is generally what people do, yeah, yeah. in real life. <laughs> so that's do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's really cool to understand how our online lives in on these different platforms may be the same or different from our offline lives. Because once we can under, kind of understand that mm-hmm. as researchers, but also as regular people, not to say that regular people aren't researchers, but mm-hmm. we get an idea of how these things may impact us, right? So really being aware that the things you see on Facebook aren't necessarily what it looks like in real life, right? Yeah. This yeah. person isn't in 36 countries at the same time. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. they're doing other things. And I think it really makes a significant difference. It's not something that we've looked at, but I think it makes a significant difference to, to think about those things in that way. And from that area, so, I mean, it's kind of refreshing to, I mean, we're going to get into a bit about what you, what you do and, and, and looking at the kind of the positive outcomes of using technology. But from what I've seen, or at least in the limited work that's been done, that I've been exposed to in technology and, and kind of personality, I find that narcissism is often a targeted personality trait that people are looking at when it comes to uh, use of social media. Is Do you find that's true in that area? Yeah, it's, it's a big thing when you talk about, like when we think about like posting and like, online social media activity narcissism is definitely one of the big things we talk about right Mm -hmm. but i think it's really hard to say because again we're back at that idea where like a lot of that research isn't as as high quality because it's self-reported narcissism right Mm -hmm. and self-reported posts so (laughs) if you're the same person telling us that you know reporting all this narcissistic personality traits but also telling us how many posts you have there's a lot of bias there absolutely Mm -hmm. Uh, so we don't really know but but what I can say is that when we when we looked at our Facebook research that that I did with Dr. Mikami in our lab, mm-hmm. we looked at Facebook Facebook variables that were observed, right, as opposed to self-reported, which I think is really cool because mm-hmm. now you get a more accurate picture of what that's what their Facebook lives are. Yeah. When we did some fancy analyses, not so fancy, but <laughs> I think it's pretty fancy, and we found that narcissism was something that came up right it was an important factor right right? Mm -hmm. and people people were doing it but what we find is also that narcissism was related to the amount of support that you got from friends so like you walk you know you post something on facebook and someone replies oh my god you're so beautiful right Mm -hmm. whether or not that's true and like whether they were being um whether they were being genuine about it right it's a totally different story but yeah 
people are supporting that, right? Right. So I think it's different because when we think about narcissism in real life, again, it might not be the same thing as narcissism online. Right. Maybe that's just the status quo, right? Mm-hmm. People post stuff that make them look good. Right. And yeah. people don't post normal, like normal, regular Netflix stuff. It's almost like a... It's a false feedback. Yeah, it's a false feedback. And it also could be... I mean, I'm sure there's a lot there's work out there as well that's like uh narcissistic people tend to gravitate towards more uh people that give more feedback or oh, yeah, more likely sure. to give that give that feedback right like yeah. uh or have higher numbers of friends to to receive more feedback kind of thing so like, why not gravitate to a platform that does give you that feedback yeah, yeah. and i mean and, and that's interesting because there's so many there's so many social media sites there's so many types of uh sites that you can go to to get feedback right or to interact with people um me being very poor with my social media game <laughs> would be like very novice at twitter i'm, I'm awful at twitter uh, i primarily use facebook don't use instagram at all yeah um those are different sites that have different um uses and and different interactions within the the way that it's set up right so i mean yeah. you would gravitate to different areas that appease to whatever you need right yeah um it's very like there's a lot of variables that are at play right the amount of people that you have friends with i imagine has a play has some impact on it or the amounts of like interactions with following and unfollowing it at the same time like yeah all of that plays into you know why you gravitate towards something and i think that's that that's kind of my big stickler as well in terms of research where we think about we're not nuanced in the way that we think about technology or social media specifically because we think about something being bad or something being good right mm-hmm. so facebook is bad because it attracts narcissists instagram is bad because it attracts narcissists things like that right <laughs> yeah yeah but i think it's a lot more nuanced than that because it's, it's not really the way that it's, it's not really what that thing is it's how you use it right mm-hmm. how do you use facebook versus how do you use instagram mm-hmm. and I just turned, I deactivated my Facebook the other day because I realized I was spending too much time on it. But some other people can can have a pretty active Facebook and not be affected by it, right? right. Yeah. So it's the way that you use it. Yeah. Uh, again, it's like a it's like a sword or like a knife where it's a tool. It can be good or it can be bad depending mm-hmm. on the user. Mm-hmm. And we because technology is moving so fast, we don't we just don't know. Right. How to use it properly. What's 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 the atmosphere of the research? Are they differentiating between social media sites? Is that is that what's going on now, or is it uh, more as a broad spectrum, like looking at social media use in general? Uh, do they look at Facebook specifically or Twitter specifically, things like that? Yeah. Honestly, I think that we're still in early days in terms of research with social media, and because social media is moving like the growth is moving so fast, mm-hmm. it's hard to do any of that because. Facebook, what Facebook is now yeah. is different from what it was five years ago. Right. Sometimes when you're doing research, that that's how long it takes. Yeah. Right. So if you're <laughs> yeah. if you're researching Facebook, you've got to constantly change the way you do your research all the time. And so I think it's nuance like it's hard to get a nuance because how do you how do you expect it to ch- how do you predict mm-hmm. the change, right? And yeah. so a lot of people just look at self reports like, okay, like how much time do you spend on you spend on this social media site because that's it's much easier to do that because that that stuff doesn't change yeah. right as much um yeah it's more of a stable metric across yeah, people right exactly 
but there are nuances that we really need to understand. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to to detect those nuances. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying that uh, basically all the work on MySpace is invalidated right now. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't that? Doesn't and that's that suck? kind of yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I'm sure there was research. There, I'm sure there were researchers doing a lot of like important stuff on yeah. MySpace that just it's now irrelevant yeah. because of the way that technology changes. And, and it's interesting within the research field because you have to adjust for that. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, there are some things that stay the same, but there are some things that totally change, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh man, I don't can't even remember MySpace anymore. I, I used to have MySpace, <laughs> but it's like... I mean, MSN is another example, yeah. like yeah. the use of MSN and, and how you interact with people. Yeah. I mean, my work is support. It's support and coping. That is a very stable thing throughout most people's lives. You're generally going to support or cope throughout your life. Yeah. Technology, like you're saying, it's just, there's so much change and it's yeah. just so, it's so advanced and so much, there's so much uh, interchange between what's popular and what's not popular. Yeah. But here's yeah. the question for you. When we talk about support and coping outside of this kind of face to face, where do people get their support from? Right. Right. What media, like what stuff like that. And I think it's like, I don't know. What's your opinion? I mean, so, so what you're saying is actually what I'm also interested in looking into is, and and what my lab has been interested in, uh, just by extension of the fact that technology is so prevalent in everybody's lives is how do we measure support? It's measured supports no longer just within person, just not, not when you get home. It's through a text or through an IM or through like a direct message through Twitter, whatever, whatever it is, yeah. however you're contacting the people that you want support from, um, how is that impacting your uh, health outcomes or whatever outcomes we're looking at, right? Well, so another thing, sorry, I yeah, didn't mean yeah. to interject, but another thing that just kind of got me thinking as well is you mentioned earlier in the episode, we were talking about, um, you know, video games and stuff like that. And I can see people going to you know, video game platforms and a group of friends that they don't know, never met, probably never will, you know, meet uh, other than online and getting support from them too, right? So, yeah, you know, it's like these crazy communities that you can get support from people you have no idea who they are, what they're about, um, just very different people, right? And I think, and so that's a really great point and that kind of leads into what we were kind of, we're about to, I was about to ask you, Adri, was, uh, you can get these amazing support systems or it feels like anecdotally. And I think a lot of people can share this sentiment is that you can have these resources or these, uh, these communities that you build online through games or through video games, through social media sites, through whatever forums you're on. Uh, and they can be really beneficial. Um, but there's also a dark side to that as well. Right. Uh, and you kind of have an interest that you've been talking to us at least about uh, that kind of talks about that, that almost dehumanization of, or the anonymity. Oh no. (laughs) The anonymity of uh, being on the internet and being on these forums and step, taking a step back and not actually like it's depersonalized in a sense. Right. So like, I think of things like bullying and things like that online and where it's a lot more accessible and it's a lot, you're more able to take advantage of those forums. Right. Yeah. And it's a lot harder, I think, especially even for adults or even teenagers, because when you, when we think about bullying and we think about bullying in schools, for example, a lot of the kids don't have a choice, 
right? Mm-hmm. Most of the time, like they either switch schools or they keep going to the school where the same kids are there, right? So that bullying continues; it perpetuates. Once you get older, you're a lot. It's a lot easier for you to choose who you hang out with, choose mm-hmm. the places you go to, places you hang out, because sometimes you just need to avoid those places that have those bullies, right? Yeah. Maybe move to a different city sometimes when that becomes a bit too intense, but when we think about the online world, it's kind of the same thing, right? Let's say you're on Reddit or you're on a you're a fan of a specific subreddit. You want to get to know some of the cool people, but all of the really bad, you know, devious, uh, not so benevolent people are there as well, and so you can't escape that. Yeah. You know, if you want you want to be part of a community but also wanting to be supported. Yeah. And it's hard because even when you think about playing video games, right? You are playing online video games and you're queuing up on Overwatch, for example. (laughs) Unless you're playing with friends, you don't have any control over the types of people you play. There are reporting systems and things like that to report abuse. Or if you're on a Discord server with random people, you could probably do that, but that that doesn't happen until after the fact, right? right. It's not preventative, mm-hmm. right? And so people don't have control over that, and I think that really perpetuates this online bullying and abuse and things like that because it's hard to tell someone like just stop going to those sites. I'd be like, yeah. well, if that site is a really big part of like where you spend your time, then mm-hmm. that's hard. Yeah, I'm, I see one. Sorry, I see one of the problems uh, as well being once it's out there on these platforms technological platforms it's there and you can work your damnedest to eradicate you know you can delete the photo off facebook and you can delete your instagram account and remove yourself from twitter but your footprint's still there right and you know maybe back a couple decades ago when that wasn't around you could you could theoretically move cities if you needed to right yeah um and it was less likely to follow you and i think one of the hardest things now for anybody truly anybody is that you can't it will never you know you'll never be able to outrun that footprint that you create or that is created for you and and there'll be circumstances where somebody will post something or say something about you um, that you have no control over you're not able to escape it no matter what you do it'll never be you know taken down so so now that we've really thoroughly um, belabored how bad <laughs> the online community can be and how bad technology can be. Audrey, tell us, tell us something positive. Tell us something good. Tell us what you want to do that might change our minds as to why technology is evil and we should just destroy it and purge <laughs> just it. Go live on an island. Sorry. Just go live on an island. <laughs> yeah. No, we no should just buy an island. And go live there together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, man. I think it's think it's really important for us to really think about the positive aspects of technology as well and again i think it really brings me back to the idea of like it's a way that we use it mm-hmm. not only as individuals but as a community right it's the okay. way that we we regulate our emotions the way that we interact with other people the way we want to be treated and the way that we treat other people right yeah and a lot of my research is centered on that on how we can use technologies technology to help people improve their lives right right so this really came a lot of my research really comes from my own experiences where i've actually grown much closer to people in real life 
through online means, right? Okay. So playing yeah. video games together. Playing video games together has allowed me to stay in contact with people, you know, friends from across the world who are in Malaysia, for example, or in the Philippines okay, that I yeah. might not be able to see for years and years, right? Right, yeah. And so it's really trying to understand the impact that technology and the social interactions we can have in technology and how that can impact the way we feel and our relationships with other people and, you know, by extension, the support we can receive from those people. All right, Adri. So earlier on, you mentioned that uh, your lab does a lot of work with ADHD or on ADHD. Um, How does your research kind of tie in with the themes of your lab? Yeah, so my lab specifically is interested in the social relationships of the social lives of people of ADHD. So not only kids, but adults and adolescents and things like that. So just a quick primer, ADHD is pretty common. Uh, it affects about 3 to 7% of school-age children. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's pretty, you know, it, it seems small, but when you think about it, like out of every 100 kids, like seven of them will have ADHD or like will have diagnosable ADHD, right, yeah. which is different, right? Because like we know that that exists on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So we have other kids who may not be diagnosed with ADHD, but also have some of those negative impacts we know that early experiences in childhood really impact the way we grow up and the way that we behave in our lives as adults yeah so it's it's you know it's not it's serious business right yeah yeah absolutely just to kind of help put that number into perspective if you've got a classroom of say an average classroom of 30 students yeah right you're gonna have at least one student per classroom uh, you know, with diagnosable ADHD. And so, you know, you may not have, as maybe as a parent or something, you may not actually have experience with a child with ADHD, but your kids almost most definitely will, right? Yeah, so, oh, definitely. I mean, 30 is a good number too, because I think that's like generally an average class in yeah. elementary yeah. school, right? Like yeah. it's 30 is a pretty accurate number for an average class. Yeah, and are we prepared to have our, our teachers and parents prepared? To, to have one kid in their class with ADHD, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, And are absolutely. kids prepared for that, you know? Yeah. And I think the the issue or, like, the, the challenges that these kids of ADHD have, a really big one outside of, like, academics and things like that that we mm-hmm. that we usually talk about is that, you know, they, they struggle socially. So just pulled out these stats, like, 50 to 70% of children of ADHD have some peer relationship difficulties. So... Think about that. Fifty, like more than half of these individuals struggle socially. So yeah. they could be, you know, a lot of them are more rejected than other peers who don't have ADHD. They're bullied more. They some they don't have as many friends. So bring up another stat. This is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, fifty-six to seventy percent of children with ADHD have no friendships, no yeah. friends. Right. Wow. So we're talking about more than half of these kids having no friends, and then compare it to. 10 to 30 percent of people of typically developing kids so kids with wow. with no diagnosable disorder right wow and that's, that's huge that's a staggering number yeah. yeah and you know some of that comes from the symptoms of adhd itself right mm-hmm. so if you are impulsive right. you're gonna blurt out things that might be hurtful it might be hard for you to regulate your emotion so you might seem angry or annoyed at people you might, uh, like, because of your attention issues, you might have problems attending to what people are saying. So people are just talking to you. Right. You can't pick up on cues. So you may seem aloof. Right. Uh, you may seem rude. So things like that. But there's also 
the reputation of that, right? So once you do a little bit of that, you know, you kind of build up this reputation as the, the troublemaker, this kid. Mm-hmm. So then what happens? All the other kids treat you like the troublemaker and that makes things worse, right? Yeah. yeah. So a lot of what our research is doing in our, in our lab is really finding creative ways of dealing with that issue for kids of ADHD, helping them make those friends. Um, for me, primarily, I'm looking at how technology can play into that role, right? Mm-hmm. How can we help kids with ADHD develop better friendships or develop these relationships with other people or, or other kids through technology? Right. Because there's a lot of things about technology that makes this easier for us, right? If you think about these kids don't have to be face-to-face, right? Yeah. So that's one thing out of the way. We don't have to think about social face facial gestures or cues yeah. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, physical gestures, physical gestures, body language, yeah, is body language, yeah. yeah. And um, we can what, what we know about treatment in kids of ADHD who have social skill issues is that like social skills intervention, so teaching these skills to kids, like how to be a good friend and things like that, is useful, but not in, but not when they're put in those situations because then what happens they forget about it right right oh, it's massive overload right yeah it's massive overload like there's so many other things to think about yeah. at the same time right so having a bug in the year we find helps so having the parent there or something like that we can do that with video games right because the yeah. other kid can't see you yeah you're you have a parent there be like you shouldn't be saying that you know say something nice thank them for doing that for you right mm-hmm. yeah so we can really find ways to modulate the interactions these kids are having with their friends right there's no there's no delete button when you're talking to somebody in person, right? <laughs> you can't backspace and, and edit what you want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, once it's out, it's out. Yeah. Or like you can't, you know, sometimes you say something bad, say something hurtful. In the moment, it feels like the right thing to say. Mm. Oh, yeah. And then later on, you're like, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> what if you had someone that was able to tell you like, you shouldn't have said that. You should probably apologize now and like explain your position, right? Yeah. Right. That'd be really cool. And like, yeah. that's something we can do potentially with with technology and that is ultimately what i'm interested in is to use technology and use video games to that end and specifically in kids of adhd because this is such a huge struggle for them yeah such a need obviously as well yeah and now just to be speculative and and be difficult when i ask you a question i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you do you see applications for um technology in populations that are otherwise disabled in some way so maybe not adhd but i'm thinking uh you know you talked about uh difficulties with face-to-face interaction and and body language and and stuff of that nature i immediately thought you know people with autism or on the autism spectrum um things like that do you see that as being another possible application yeah i think i think it's i think it's potentially helpful because something that i had been reading about previously was this group of parents of kids with autism that had created this server on Minecraft where I think it was called autism craft or aut craft or something like that. And so it allowed their kids with autism to play Minecraft with other kids in a safe environment where there's no abuse, where parents are helpful. And I can only suspect that that might be, you know, I wonder whether that'd be extremely helpful for these kids. Like they're able to play these games with other kids and not, get that abuse that they would get in normal servers yeah and also for people who may struggle socially who have like social anxiety for example 
a really big pull for people that do these things is not, you know, it might not be the social interactions themselves, but it could be the gameplay, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have that buy-in, right? If the kids want to be playing those games, you have that buy-in. So then you can insert those social elements. They start interacting with more people by extension of the game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. And when you talk, even like outside when you're in, you know, let's say you play with some other kid and you meet them in school. Now you have something else to talk about, right? Yeah. Instead of just talking about school. Maybe that's not something you do well at or sports. Yeah. You can talk about video games now, right? And that really opens up a channel of communication with, with other people. Yeah, especially if they're in an environment where they can be successful and have these really positive interactions to so then take that back and build you know, those relationships with their peers in a way uh, where they can talk about the successes that they've had. I, I can see that as being hugely beneficial. Oh, for sure. Tons to talk about. I think the work that you're doing is really interesting. And uh, I'm, I'm super excited to hear what what you find going forward. And so we'd love to have you on if you, uh, as you do your research and as you find uh, new interesting uh, results, we'd love to have you back on to have t- discussions about technology and other things and and we do hope to have uh some more of round round table kind of uh episodes where we talk to researchers about from different areas about different topics and i think technology is just it's so wide reaching that we'd love to have you on and have your perspective on those kind of things because it's i haven't even for sure i haven't even like thrown in like a cog bit about you know, yeah, gaming no. and stuff like that. Like, oh, yeah. there's so many really cool things, uh, and technology generally, not just gaming, but there's so many cool things um, that I think researchers can really contribute um, oh, yeah. to. And I, I mean, e- even talking uh, Adri and our, our previous guest from episode three, Mario, we we talk a lot about uh, gaming as a. It, it, it actually was a reason as to why we became friends oh, started yeah, talking sure. right yeah. so we started ta- we started gaming together and, and and we started funny enough as researchers as all all of us were being as all of us were researchers we were interested in the fact that like oh it's, we could do eye tracking when we're playing video games yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think that was one of our conversations early yeah. on we're like yeah. it wouldn't it be cool if we could just do some eye track te- eye tracking tests where we just like measure our eye tracking and yeah. see how who's better at whatever because that's the thing about like like good research right it's like research that you're passionate about right it's like research that transcends the you know just the academic domain but also like you know like your personal into your personal life because how else are you going to be interested in stuff like that i mean that and that research that's exactly what drives us to do our work yeah like we want to do something that's interesting to us yeah yeah absolutely Uh, and it's clear that you are interested in this work and this this work has very wide-reaching impacts on a lot of people right i mean everyone is impacted by technology uh and whether we choose to be or not i mean yeah that's so important to note even if you're off the grid (laughs) yeah you could be off the grid but you can be damn sure that the google maps car has driven by your house and taken a photo yeah you know it's like well shit (laughs) i'm never really that far off the grid yeah yeah i mean so We'll do a wrap up, but uh, it, it's been really good. I, I really do find that the work that you're doing has such a wide reaching impact on a lot of people. And it's it's something that obviously I'm interested in because we've talked a lot about your work and, and gaming and just the way that your online your online personality impacts your offline personality. So I think it's, it's really cool. Um, and 
thank you. I mean, thanks, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for like, having we, we, yeah we, thank we, you very much. Enjoyed the beer. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? What did I get? Was it Winter Ale? Yeah, yeah so Granville yeah. Island uh, Winter Lager. Sponsored Winter by Ale, Granville Island. Island. Please plug this, Adri. What are you drinking tonight on Brain? What Buzz? was your choice? I I am. So I originally chose mojitos. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> we, uh, that we, was second but, on your list. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> My blender's out of commission. So we went. We went for. Um, Granville Island Winter Ale, which is actually one of my favorite beers. Yeah. Fantastic. And you share that uh, sentiment with uh, our previous guest, Gabriel Brooks. Yep. Uh, he got the Winter Ale as well. He got he the Winter Ale as well, yeah. That uh, was his request. Yeah. If so. you're listening to this, Granville Island, <laughs> need you as a sponsor. <laughs> We're going to try and uh, plug for some sponsors for, <laughs> for sure. sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess we can uh, put a cap on it there, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Wrap her up. Well, Audrey, thank you again. Uh, enjoyed immensely. It's been a really good episode. Um, all right, that's been it for Brain Buzz. If you enjoyed the episode, we hope that you will share it with your friends and colleagues. Find previous episodes at brainbuzzpodcast.com, iTunes, Google, and Stitcher, and be sure to rate and review the show wherever you find great podcasts. This has been Brain Buzz. Thank you for listening. Salut. got the outro done first try for the first time and, <laughs> and it, it didn't record recorded. <laughs> god damn it <laughs> and be sure to rate and review the show wherever you find great podcasts salut <laughs> god damn it let's try it one more time